0: Well, we continue this morning in our sermon series entitled, Dangerous Prayers. And today we're going to do something we did two weeks ago, which is to have a question and answer time following the message. What's going to happen is there'll be the sermon, a song, and then Ash and I are going to do a question and answer. And we want to answer any questions you might have about the sermon, about the Bible passage, or things related to that. So when after the sermon, there's the song, that's your time on live stream to type in your question. And then we'll check those questions and have a little bit of a a dialogue with you, at least we hope to. Well, I am excited about today's Bible passage. I've actually never preached on it before, but it's a favorite of mine. It's helped me, and I think it can help you too. It's an amazing passage. It provokes questions, it stirs our imaginations, and it's totally relevant to our lives, And not only does our passage give us insight into prayer, it also coaches us in what to do when our prayers aren't answered the way we want. Let's take a look at our passage. It's from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. I'll read it without comment this time. Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. Well, what do you think of that text? Wasn't it Incredible. There are so many things that we could focus on today. We could look at Paul's boasting. I must go on boasting, says Paul. Well, why? What's he talking about? Some of you are wondering, isn't it not okay to boast as a Christian? But Paul not only boasts, he boasts in a really weird way. He talks about himself as though he's some other guy. I know a man in Christ, he says. This man, a man like that. Paul's actually talking about himself, but he's using this weird convention. So we could talk about boasting, and there's an awful lot of it in our text today, five references to boasting in our passage, 22 references to boasting in the whole second letter to the Corinthians, more references to boasting than any other book in the Bible. So we could talk about boasting, but why? Why would boasting even be a subject? Well, the context would have been helpful to know. So I'll tell you, Paul is on the defensive. He's on the back foot. He's in danger of losing the Corinthian Christians. They want to reject him. In an earlier letter or two, Paul has written some hard things he had to tell them about themselves, and they are mad at him. Not only this, but their hearts are being stolen by Paul's enemies. These are the ones that Paul calls the super apostles. These super apostles have invaded Corinth, And they're spreading rumors about Paul. They're criticizing how he looks and speaks. They're questioning his motives. And worst of all, they're proclaiming a false gospel. And they're boasting, believe me, they're boasting. They're boasting about who they are, how they look, how they dress, and how they sound. And so Paul's on the back foot defending himself and his ministry. And it's awkward and uncomfortable for him, and we can see that. That's why Paul uses a strange third-person reference to this person, this man. It's his awkward way about talking about himself and his own experiences. He's had some amazing spiritual experiences, but Paul doesn't want to boast in this straightforward way. So we could talk about Paul's boasting, and that would be interesting, but it's not our focus. So many interesting things we could discuss. We could talk about Paul's visions and revelations, his powerful ecstatic experiences, how he talks about being caught up to the third heaven, the highest heaven, to paradise itself. Paul's seen the glory and wonder of God in heaven and returned. He's heard things that are inexpressible, things he's not even permitted to tell us. We could talk about visions and revelations, and that would be interesting, but it's not our focus so many things we could talk about. We could focus on Paul's thorn in the flesh. Have you heard that phrase before, A thorn in the flesh? We've heard people say, or maybe you've said, so and so, or such and such, it's my thorn in the flesh. Well, we get that from this text. Paul says that to keep him from becoming too conceited by these visions, he's been given this thorn in the flesh to humble himself. What's he talking about? Well, Paul doesn't go into detail, and for 2,000 years, scholars and everyday Christians have been wondering, what is this thorn in the flesh? Some have said it's Paul's opponents. Some say it's a physical defect, or recurrent malaria, or an eye problem, or even epilepsy. We don't know. But whatever it was, Paul suffered from it, and it was painful and humiliating We could talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and that would be interesting, but it's not our focus. We are in a sermon series on prayer, dangerous prayers. So our focus today is on Paul's specific references to prayer. The heartbeat of our passage is these two verses. Talking about his thorn in the flesh, Paul says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is our focus. That is what we're here to talk about this morning. You know something? We don't like being weak. We don't like being weak, do we? Whether it's illness or injury or the loss of a job or a season of unemployment, whether it's being looked over for a promotion or rejected from a relationship, whether it's losing our looks or our prestige or our prominence, whether it's aging and the loss of our freedoms and independence, we don't like being weak. Amen? Amen. We don't like being weak. We like being strong, vital, healthy, youthful, capable, in control. Why is this so important to us? Experts have said that there are two main basic human needs behind all of this. Number one is our need for security. We want to be safe. And number two is our need for significance. We want to know that we matter. Most of our striving, most of our anxieties and fears and angers and resentments are because these two needs are not being met. We are threatened and something has happened, and so we're doing our very best to present ourselves as strong and in control. We like being strong. And in Corinth, strength was also prized in how you looked and how you dressed and how you spoke and how you conducted yourselves, and most of all, in your spiritual experiences. The Corinthians liked being strong, and they welcomed the super apostles because they thought they were strong. They were large. They were in charge. And Paul could have followed their lead. He could have boasted about his strengths just like the super apostles did, but he doesn't. The whole letter is known for Paul's humility and weakness. Like the Corinthians, we like being strong. We hate being weak. We hate it as individual Christians. We hate it as the Christian church in America today. As Christians, we hate being marginalized, disempowered, mocked, and sidelined. And so we're tempted to seize power to assert our dominance, to fight the culture wars in this zero-sum game of politics. We hate being weak, and we want to be strong, and we forget Paul's example. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever been at your limit when you've cried out to God, to deliver you from whatever weakness that afflicts you? Paul did that. Three times he prayed for this affliction, this uh, this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. Paul prayed this prayer, and you know, in praying that prayer in his weakness, Paul was a lot like our Lord Jesus himself. Because Jesus, by all standards of his day, was weak. He had no political power or influence. He had no social prominence or wealth or prestige. He hung out with losers, mostly, and outcasts. Jesus was weak. And Jesus knew affliction and suffering just like Paul did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the cross, like Paul, Jesus prayed three times that his suffering, the cup of suffering, would would pass by him. And God didn't give him what he wanted. God had something else in mind. Have you ever felt this way? You're at your limit. You're beyond your limit. You're desperate for yourself or someone you love. And you cry out to God to deliver you, to deliver them. And you pray for healing again and again and again. And it doesn't come. It seems like God's not listening. God isn't answering your prayers. Ever felt this way? If you have, you are in good company. You're with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. You're with Paul and with a thorn in the flesh. It seems that God doesn't want to answer your prayers. Or does He? It could be that, as with Jesus and Paul, God has something better in mind something we can't immediately see, something we can't grasp at that moment, something good, something better, something glorious. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times that the cup of suffering would pass him by, and it didn't happen. But look at what did happen. God had greater things in mind. God brought resurrection. Through the cross and empty tomb, God saved the world from sin and death. Friends, this is God's strange alchemy. Through the cross comes resurrection. Through death, comes new life. Through suffering comes glory. Jesus' prayers went unanswered, or did they? God's grace was at work in ways that no one could have grasped. And Paul had the same experience. Three times he pleaded with the Lord to take away the thorn, and God didn't answer him, or did he? God did answer God promised to do something better than deliver Paul from that thorn. God promised to perfect his power in Paul's weakness. And it's in this that Paul now boasts, and that we are blessed. Whether for Jesus or for Paul or for any of us, God is doing something beyond our imagination. God delights to perfect his strength in our weakness. And this changes everything. I grew up in Southern California, about an hour from Disneyland. And when I was young, I probably went to Disneyland more than a dozen times. And when I was little, I remembered that to get into the very best rides, those e-ticket rides that they were called back then, you had to be a certain height. You had to sort of be tall enough to that line or above it on the sign as you were going into the ride. And I remember when I was little, standing up super straight to try to fluff up my hair and be tall enough to go in on that ride, maybe uh, Space Mountain or the Matterhorn. And uh, that's how it works in the Magic Kingdom. You've got to be tall. You've got to be big to get in. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. You've got to be small. You've got to be weak. You've got to be needy. That's the entrance requirement into God's kingdom. Whenever I am weak, then I am strong, says Paul. Paul continues, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I love our passage. It has encouraged me so many times. And one time was right here at church. It's a little over four years ago, and some of you may remember I had a pretty bad bike accident right about then, it was on a Tuesday that I had my crash. I was descending on a gravel trail and the sun was low and there were big shadows uh, across the way and I hit this pool of gravel and I washed out at speed and took the fall down the whole left side of my body. I had torn skin and torn clothing and road rash all across the left side of my body. But worse than that, I also sprained my shoulder and sprained my hip and I could barely walk. And I knew I had to preach that Sunday. I had to come here to be with all of you. And uh, I'll tell you what, I didn't sleep one wink the night before I preached. Um, I was so worried I wouldn't be able to even get to church. I was in such pain. Uh, I uh, couldn't sleep at all. and, And this verse came to me throughout the night. What verse was it? The verse we're talking about. God was saying to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. Okay, Lord, okay. So I got up early and drove to church extra early because it was going to take me extra time to get all my bandages changed, put on my clothes over the the injuries, and to just walk from my car to the church. I I couldn't even do that. And I got to church, and we started the 8 o'clock service in the chapel, and my assistant was Chris Hill, our high school director. And he led us at the beginning of the service in a prayer of confession. And as is customary, he used a Bible passage to declare pardon. And what Bible passage was it? Our text. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. And I, I, I just felt like God was saying to me, I've got this. Trust me. I've got this. And God was faithful. I love our Bible passage. And it's been there for me anytime I've struggled in my life. I've told many of you, and you know, that I had a a severe depressive episode in seminary. Uh, For 18 months, I was in deep darkness, anxiety, depression, newly married, and I I thought I was going to lose my faith. I thought I was going to lose my call to ministry. I thought I might even lose my marriage. Terrible time in my life. But you know something I'll never forget? My mentor, Dr. Robert Boyd Munger, said, he said, someday you will thank God for this. And it just sounded so perverse to me at the time but he was right. Because out of that time and out of that hardship, when I was forced to give up complete control, God began a new work in me. God began to build me up after having broken me to the core. And I'm still broken, and I'm still struggling. But you know something? God's grace has never been more real to me ever since. And more than that, it's given me a ministry, a ministry to others who struggle in similar ways, who struggle with depression I have compassion in a way I would never have had because of that episode. And that's continued to this very day. It's in our weakness that God perfects his strength, and there's an opportunity. On December 1st, I was diagnosed with a DVT, deep vein thrombosis, blood clot in my leg, not just a little one, a big one that went the length of my leg. And uh, I've been on blood thinners ever since. And uh, this has rocked my world. It's made me feel my mortality and my frailty, my vulnerability like never before. But I do know that there's an opportunity here. I know that now I understand many of you who've struggled in similar ways. And out of this, God is at work. Out of all of this, in the opposition, there's opportunity. In the infirmity, there's a chance for transformation. The Lord loves to perfect his power in our weakness. It's the way of Jesus It's the way of Paul, and it can be our way too. Years ago, uh, many of you remember that as a church, we read Rick Warren's book, The Purpose-Driven Life. Do you remember that? Well, I'll never forget this quote that Rick Warren had in that book, and I think it's exactly what we need, and here it is. Rick Warren wrote, Other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. Friends, nothing is wasted in God's upside-down economy. Nothing is wasted. In Jesus, weakness is strength and brokenness is opportunity. So where are you today? What thorn in the flesh are you wrestling with? What weakness is, 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 is interrupting life for you? Could God not be involved in it? Could God not be giving you an opportunity in your weakness to find God's grace, to find God's strength, to carry you along in a way that will be transformative forever? My grace is sufficient for you, says the Lord, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Friends, believe this good news. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I I can't see beyond this camera, so I don't know exactly who's watching and what they're feeling, but I imagine that they are struggling, just like I am, with something today. And I pray that you would give them opportunity now to encourage them through your Holy Spirit, to remind them that you love them, that your grace is sufficient for them, and that you will never let them go. So let those listening today be encouraged and strengthened in your grace, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, we are looking forward to answering or trying to answer some of your questions. And so, uh, Ash is monitoring those. Um, I tremble.
1: (laughs) Well, I I feel like I would be remiss if I I don't ask you about your DVT because just two weeks ago, I sat here with Eric, and he uh, shared a little bit about his ailments. I don't know if it's just the pastors or something, if I should stay away if these are coming for me or something, but maybe talk a little bit about what you've learned through that.
0: Yeah, thanks. I I don't know. I mean, weakness and strength, you know, so we're all going to be weakened, and pastors too, so we're not exempt. Um, Yeah, the DVT, deep vein thrombosis, Doctor thinks it's related to dehydration, maybe on long bike rides. It's really hard to get a bottle, water bottle refilled on a long bike ride. So dehydration, too much sitting. My, my gospel, I proclaim, my little gospel is uh, stay hydrated and keep moving around in the age of COVID when especially you're more sedentary.
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, somebody asked, I think you know her, her name is Rupali, uh, about why it's so difficult for us to talk about weakness in church.
0: Uh, Good question, Rupali. Thank you very much. Um, uh, You know, I think it's the Corinthian problem, really. I do. I mean, I think that that's what's going on in the Corinthian church. They follow the ways of the world and uh, want to be strong. And and, uh, so we feel like, uh, especially now, we've got this added spiritual experience, and we need to show how strong we are there too. Mm -hmm. And so it's so ironic that uh, it's really the weakness that we ought to be showing and not the strength. And I've often thought that there's probably more honesty and weakness in a 12-step group in many congregations, so we need to overcome that. it's just a, it's a fleshly temptation and it's a weakness uh, one we can avoid.
1: yeah. would you have any wisdom about like how you would encourage people to go about doing that? like what does it actually mean to like boast in your weakness?
0: Yeah. You know, Well, I don't think we're actually called to boast, as in brag. I mean, that's not really the point. I think it's, the point is the super apostles were doing all that bragging, and Paul says, hey, well, I could brag too, and I could brag about this, but actually I'm I'm more interested in this. And uh, how does that play out in the church? Well, I mean, I think it doesn't play out in large groups. I think it plays out in small groups uh, where you have more time to be uh, trusting and develop intimacy with a few people. Mm -hmm. That would be my answer.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the trick about all of this is, yeah, boasting seems so widespread, you know, like we just sang about this song about boasting in Christ, and we want to be people who do that, but this is one of those ones where I would say a small group of people and talking about our weaknesses in a way that feels like people can learn alongside of us as well as encourage us is so important.
0: That's absolutely right, and that's why small groups are really the, the best place to grow as a Christian, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really love this question because I, I think we see jesus do it and then we see paul do it where they stop after praying three times is there clarity after three times is it is it something else or
0: yeah it's a great question why three times well three in the bible certainly is a a, a number that signifies re, a completion or wholeness so it could be a simply a a symbol that i prayed i prayed as much as i could or i prayed as much as was appropriate But I do think there's an intentional connection to Jesus in the garden three times. So in in both cases, it could well be that it just meant I I prayed enough. I prayed as much as I could.
1: Yeah. And what what would your word of encouragement be to those who feel like they get to that place where they go, I, I really don't know that I can pray more. Like, I've kind of hit the end of my rope. I really do feel like I'm weak. Like, what's the next step for them in terms of, of moving through that?
0: Yeah. Well, don't feel bad. I think that's my first point is don't feel bad. You're in good company. Uh, many people have almost tritely said that, well, it's not that God doesn't answer prayers. He just, he just has a, a response like, not yet, or, or I've got this instead. And so I think that's true, but I, 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 think, I think we need to create a place where you don't feel more shame because your prayers are going unanswered, but that you still are in a community of trust and support who will walk with you and, and carry you even and pray for you when you can't pray for yourself.
1: Yeah, and it was a good reminder to hear you just sort of briefly touch on this concept of an unanswered prayer uh, you know, what we often feel like comes across as God's not listening to us, God's not hearing us, he's not answering our prayer, but in reality, like, he was doing something greater, um, and sometimes that's really hard to see, I think, on this side of, of heaven, uh, as well as, you know, distance often equals perspective, and we can get that, but time is the distance, but it's it's challenging to see sometimes what has God up to in this, this place of unanswered prayer.
0: Yeah, if I'd add more time, I was going to include an illustration about Mother Teresa. Uh, some of you may have known there was a, a book published of her prayers and of her journals with her spiritual director. And did you know this? Maybe you didn't. Most of us don't. But Mother Teresa had visions, powerful visions of Jesus as a young woman. And, uh, and then Jesus took away his felt presence from her for the better part of 50 years. She walked by faith alone, with her prayers going unanswered. She prayed, oh, Jesus, take this from me. Show up to me. And he didn't do it. And you know, you read spiritual biography in the Christian church and its history. That happens to a lot of great saints. Yeah. So again, we're, we're in good company here.
1: Yeah, yeah um maybe for our our last question i think this one's good it comes from dave palmer you know how can we live by god's strength as a collective community you know it's it's more obvious perhaps to see how we do this as an individual but what does it mean to do it as the church
0: well i mean i think it begins in weakness it begins with hopefully pastors and christian leaders sharing authentically about what's going on in their lives and um, giving permission to others to to uh, be authentic with their struggles and to create really what, we're, what would be a culture of authenticity, a culture of vulnerability, and that's not created overnight. Mm-hmm. And in a powerful downtown historic church like ours, I've watched us change over the 18 years I've been here, but we have a long way to go. Yeah. So we've got to just keep at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think so much of, of, of what our conversations with the people that we sit alongside in these pews is so crucial, you know, like if we show up here as if we've got it all figured out and we don't need anything, and uh, Christ just kind of is is routine for us, then I think um, we miss that corporate opportunity to really boast in Christ and his power and our weakness.
0: Mm, It's Um, really well put. Yeah,
1: so we have a lot of of room to grow here.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: Well, I've appreciated this. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, thanks for asking your questions and your participation. We're going to continue on in worship by song here this morning. Thank you.